are Locked On Trailblazers, your daily Portland Trailblazers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a January 29th Sunday edition of the Locked On Blazers podcast. I'm your host, Eric Garcia Gunderson, a writer for BlazersEdge.com, former Blazer beat writer for the Vancouver Columbian, and a writer at other places. And I am joined today by Danny LaRue from Locked On Warriors, the Dunked On Basketball Podcast, Real GM Radio, many places. Danny, what's up? That was a weird but pretty fun game. Do you agree? Yeah, you know, no Steph in this game, but it was a great game, I thought. I thought it was fun to... Uh, it looked like Iguodala was really enjoying the moment of getting a little bit more time out there, it felt like to me. And it was a great finish to this game. Evan Turner played really well. I thought it was a an entertaining game. Uh, and I, I it was fun to see the, the Warriors get a little grittier. They certainly had to play a different way to win this game than usual. And it reminded me a lot of those early games in the second round of the playoffs last year. When Stephen Curry was still out, he was dealing with the MCL sprain, and the Warriors just had to, basically they had to win ugly against the Blazers, and a couple times they did. I believe they also lost once, and it w- it was like that, you know? I mean, the, there was that early stretch where when the Warriors went on a big run, and it looked like maybe they were going to take control, but once Portland had, I think it was a 20-2 to run to end the first half, it felt like it was going to be nip and tuck the rest of the way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it looked for a minute there, yeah, exactly like you said, that the the Warriors were going to blow them out of the water in that first half. They went up by about, I think they were up 21, 51 to 30 at one point. And then, yeah, they go on a 20 to 2 run. And I thought during that stretch, it was really what we saw for mostly the rest of the game was uh, Evan Turner playing really well for Portland and Lillard and McCollum also doing their thing. Lillard didn't have as good of a game in this one as he did uh, the other night when he had 33 against Memphis, but they they played really well and kind of got this game back, and it was was a really tight game from then on. I thought it was uh, very entertaining. It was, and it got... Ah, surprisingly entertaining might be a little bit overstating it because the Warriors have had some trouble at the end of games. It got more interesting with the with the end sequence, which I'm sure both of our sets of listeners will want to hear about. And for me, the play that led up to the final play with Durant getting called for the offensive foul, my feeling is it was a flop, but it was also an offensive foul. So it, I that, that I've talked about it before in relation to the LeBron play and a couple other ones that the Warriors have dealt with recently of a soccer flop. So a soccer flop is where a player, exa- that's what I call it, it's when a player exaggerates legitimate contact, and I believe it was Evan Turner, that's what he did there. Yeah, I, I, I agree, because Durant was trying to get open there, and Turner did a great job of accentuating that contact and and drawing the call and, and drawing the attention of the official, because a lot of times, I think that's why we all often see stars flail a lot like Draymond Green or Russell Westbrook or uh, a lot of pretty much everybody or it's Chris Paul is another great example that comes to mind just because that's how you have to sell the call because if you don't you're not going to get the call and so that's just part of the game and Turner did a great job of selling the call there that even you know maybe it, it wasn't it was an offensive foul but it might not have gotten called had he not done that right and as much as it leads to problems with the product that at least I don't enjoy 
it is an understandable and likely unavoidable part of it, especially like for me, I'm far more okay with exaggerating legitimate contact than making something out of nothing because that's just bad. Like that's not, it's not sportsmanship. It's nothing like that. But if you're exaggerating legitimate contact, it's, it's on the edge, but I think it's on the right side of the edge. Even if I don't, even if I don't like where it turns out. Did you see that? Speaking of flopping, this is an aside. Did you see that Dylan Brooks flop where he didn't even? I was going to reference it. That is the opposite side of this, you know, or the Marcus Smart flopping like a fish, you know, jumping like, oh, I think like he got shot, you know, like those sorts of things are different because the original contact was not legitimate. It's them call seeking. And I would even draw, it's a different thing, but it's along the same lines, a play that's still happening more and more where an offensive player, usually a shooter, jumps into out of their shooting motion into a guy who's like closing out to me that's an offensive that's an offensive foul but you know it's the same type of idea of doing something that's not a basketball play and there's no other legitimate reason for it so punish those things the other ones i'd love to see them out of the game but i don't think there's a way to fix it right uh you just got me thinking too of another thing when in talking about that Dame actually got he actually drew one of those calls late in this game when the Blazers were trying to make a comeback he kind of leaned a little bit into I think it was McAdoo it was James Michael McAdoo yeah yeah and and Who's Dame in the kinda, game for no good reason right which it didn't make any sense at all but it 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 he kind of leaned to the side a little bit and and got that call but often though I will say most of the time he doesn't get that call because it's usually not natural. <laughs> Right. Kevin Love is actually one of the first people I ever saw get called for an offensive foul on that, which is actually what it should be, because you're basically elbowing a dude who's just jumping by you. Like, that's an offensive foul. You don't usually see it in the process of a shooting motion. But that one I thought was a little bit was on the marginal side, but I think he was pretty much in his he was leaning, but he was still pretty much in a shooting motion. It wasn't like he jumped the wrong direction or anything like that. He it's again, it's on the borderline, but I was more okay with that. It was also such an egregious jump. Like this gets into an idea that I'm sure you think about this sometimes, too, about when a player bites on a pump fake and this is not the circumstance like when a player Stephen Curry did this once he bought on but bit on an Andre Miller pump fake from three and it's just like no no like you'd rather have him shoot the shot but the the logic of it is this is it a worse scenario for the guy to shoot the shot uncontested or like you know with a contest of your arm up or is it worse for you to draw to to induce the foul and with McAdoo I think the Warriors at that point were up six with like 25 seconds to go yeah, he probably makes that shot 35-40% of the time, but he's going to make those free throws a higher proportion of the time at least to me than that. So just let him shoot it. Yeah, the yeah, it was kind of a, a dumb play on McAdoo's part to even get in his vicinity at that point when as you said the Warriors were up by six points at that time and I might have even been seven I don't I I, if I can I don't remember which but it was not that close and so you can let him have the three and just you know move on from there and let him take it and see if he makes it but yeah no uh Dame drew contact on that and 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 got the free throws and that end that end sequence there Portland did a lot of the quick two uh on that they mostly did the quick two until they until they couldn't at the very end uh and they 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 got that lucky call and then Evan Turner uh Durant slips excuse me and Evan Turner steps back and is wide open for a three and it's Evan Turner shooting a three-pointer but he was wide open i i i'm not it wasn't the ideal look but i also am not that mad at that look no and he couldn't get to the basket you know like i 
I think that the alternative there, if he's going to shoot just a, a shot from the future, as he calls it, you know, if he was going to shoot a shot from the future, <laughs> that a three is better. But if he was able to get to the lane and draw, like to draw f- a free throw, there's a possibility that could have happened. But I don't think there was a, it was definite. And also the clock was running down. And so maybe in his head, whether he knew exactly how much time was left or had a good general idea, that's always hard. You know, like if there's five seconds left, you go, OK, what can I do in five seconds? And maybe he could have gotten the drive and either finished it or thrown an alley-oop to Mason Plumley. But I understand why, even if even if he was 100 percent aware of the timing, he might not have been comfortable with that. No, yeah, exactly. I, I, there's, I, there's no way you can really be mad about the shot that he took there. Uh, he made the right call. I, it wasn't the highest percentage shot, but most importantly, in that situation, you need to get a shot, and so, uh, that seems to get teams a lot of times, uh, finding the perfect shot, and and I just think it, it's preferred to uh get uh a shot in that situation and he did and and Turner played also I just wanted to say Turner played really well in this game uh he played in 33 minutes he had 18 points six assists four rebounds uh I think the role that they have him playing now where he's a part of the starting lineup and playing more with Lillard and McCollum uh together I I think is uh it's been pretty beneficial so far uh for the team I mean they've been more competitive as of late and and actually that uh, group of three uh, actually rates out positively in the plus minus so far. They've played 255 minutes so far this season, and they are a plus 4.5, which, uh, and, and their defense is respectable and their offense isn't that bad. And it, it's been pretty impossible for that team to have that kind of combination so far this season. And that's, and that's pretty, pretty impressive, impressive considering, considering they, they play well with no one so. so. Kudos. Yeah, exactly. They have, they have Vonley out there getting getting, you know, he's kind of out there just as an offensive rebounder even though he hasn't been It's weird, right? Cuz he's like basically taken the two guys with the worst plus minus and put them in the starting lineup. <laughs> Vonley is a tough one because I like him as a player, but he serves a very limited role as a power forward because he doesn't really stretch the floor and defensively he's not a great weak side guy. So I, I still do like him as a rotation player and potentially long-term. And it's certainly true that with Harkless still on the mend and, and so many other things still going on that they have fewer options than usual, but they didn't, they don't do themselves any favors playing him as much as they have. Yeah. I think it's, it's two things because they, they, they tried, I think they want to get some offensive rebounding out of that unit. And I think they need to try and make more out of their front court players who have been, you know, other than Plumlee, really just not really helping the team a lot this season. And they tried Ed Davis in the starting lineup for a little while, but the defensive rating with that group was a 120 and they, they broke even but it just wasn't sustainable, really. And I think maybe now they're trying to do something with Vonley here. Maybe Davis gets thrown into that role. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I think he gives more switchability. But yeah, he doesn't stretch the floor very much. And his best asset right now is is crashing the offensive boards. But I think part of the problem is, is that Portland's bench units have been so bad that maybe the thinking, at least from, from where I'm sitting, is okay, Vonley hasn't really done a whole lot to help you on second units. Maybe what he does well on the offensive glass can help you win the best players are out there. So you can get more shots for Damon CJ 
and, and maybe that's how you do it, and that's how you make some use out of it. I, I Terry Stotts is not in an easy position because you know the the back end of those rotations have been super tough for him all year, and so putting Harkless and Aminu in there, I mean, I think it worked well tonight having both of those guys come off the bench and and you know kind of stabilize it a little bit. I think that there's a little bit of a separation from what I've seen of the Blazers between swapping out. Harkless and swapping out Aminu because Aminu has looked good in the starting lineup overall to me. And I, I understand the idea. It's kind of the Malcolm Brogdon idea, which doesn't usually work, but has worked for the Bucks of putting in a player who's a little bit different and just seeing it work better for them because they have better teammates. Like that is an idea that makes some sense. But Aminu was good there. You know, you're not you're not changing something that failed. You're changing something that worked. Right, I, exactly, and that—that's the—that's the odd thing. But I think that's the position that Portland was in. That that starting lineup was good, but pretty much every other lineup that they put out there wasn't good. And and so I think the problem was, Harkless and Aminu out together have been good in that starting lineup and Aminu has been good in the starting lineup for a while but now you have this Turner thing and you have to give him minutes there's no way that they're going to be able to just bench Turner so I think they they had to I, I this is so far has been the best way to make use of him and and to see the team play uh to come out in the positive when he's been on the court it just hasn't happened this year and it, it's a very very small sample size but uh I, I don't blame him for i don't blame them for trying something in that regard because to to try and make turner more useful because it, it's just the that that hole in the rotation where he's been in and they've been hemorrhaging points a lot of the season he's been better for the past month or so but i uh, it, it was still hard i think and, and it wasn't it wasn't consistent enough for them to kind of stick with it on the back end. I think the front end was fine. And I think that's kind of the predicament that they were in. Yeah, makes sense. It was surprising to see him work in that role because intuitively, like the reason they brought him in was to be a primary or secondary ball handler when somebody else sits and then try on defense like he did in Boston, which he was much better at tonight than when when the Warriors have seen the Blazers. And I watch a lot of the Blazers anyway. He was better than he's usually been this year, which is great. And... At the same point, you know, the guy he was on a fair portion of the time, Kevin Durant, also had a nice game himself. Right. And that, that and that's, hey, uh, Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant. And, and it's also true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he had a monster game. And it's so funny, right? Because it, it, it did. I totally agree with you. What you mentioned at the top of the show that it did remind you of those kind of scrappy win ugly games in that playoff series. But the obvious difference is that Harrison Barnes has been replaced by one of the <laughs> three best players in the world. Yeah, it was a continuation of something that I've I've been following, but haven't written or talked about that Kevin Durant has been good to great. I think he's been great a lot of the last few weeks, but he has not been making his threes. So he was one for seven tonight. Over the last, I believe it's six games, he has only made more than 35% of his threes once and more than 30% twice, and yet still has played well. It's not what you think of with Kevin Durant, and it's surprising, and it probably won't continue, but still very interesting. It's so funny with Durant, too, because he's such an efficiency monster that he went one for seven from three and still shot 50% from the field overall and had 33 points. Like He scored that, 33 points on 26 attempts despite shooting one for seven from three. 
like that's I mean that's that's pretty awesome and then, and then also tonight I mean the I, I thought the Blazers scrapped pretty hard defensively in this game too for the most part compared to where they've been most of the season and to their credit they have been better as of late but it's got to it's got to kill you when Iguodala goes three for four and, and and you're just like okay well I guess I guess we lost you know it, 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 that's that's how you got to take it if Iguodala is going to make three of four and that's how you lose I mean that that's the Warriors beating you right there and uh tough break but that's the Warriors they have a narrow rotation but the guys in their narrow rotation are pretty good and I would say a few guys on Golden State did not play particularly well today. Klay Thompson had a few solid defensive moments, but offensively, he was missing a lot of open shots. It was not not the strongest game from him, except that he ended up making a ton of free throws late. I think it was padded a fair amount by that end part. And those were important free throws. I'm not dusting them off like, oh, that doesn't mean anything. It's just that it's a little bit different than getting to the line a lot throughout the whole rest of the game. And Draymond Green had some huge moments. He had some nice defensive plays in the last minute, including, uh, I would say, a good defensive play on the last, the really the last gasp of the last possession, but also had seven turnovers, and a couple of them were just completely, like, egregiously bad mistakes and a couple of just terrible shot choices. Yeah, it wasn't the best game for the Warriors tonight, but uh, like you said, though, in that last minute, Draymond was making big plays on the defensive end, and Clay hit a, a big three-pointer in transition after Draymond got a block on Plumlee uh, in that last minute where Plumlee was driving to the lane. I think they were. I think it was a four-point game at that point, and then uh, Draymond st- just stymies him at the rim like that he did so often in that series, and they just go the other way. Clay hits one of his two three-pointers on the night, and that's kind of what got them into that foul game where Portland. Yeah, and then, that's, and then the- that's when Lillard drew the drew the three-shot foul. I believe was the next play. Right. Yeah. So they were that that was what started the kind of back and forth at the end that got it close, but. Uh, the Warriors made enough of those clutch plays at the end of this game in uh, a game that they had to fight for. They did. And I don't know that you walk away from this game, and this is true of so many regular season games for both of these teams, I don't know that you walk away having learned anything, but it was certainly engaging and, and fun for all the reasons we discussed. Right. Yeah, I think there. this was cool to it was cool for me to at least watch the the Warriors with this team without Curry having Durant be more of a a focal point and all that uh and and Portland uh having a game where they've been playing well lately uh yeah you didn't learn a whole lot but it was just a good game and it was an entertaining game and uh I mean is that is this it for the for the season series for the regular season that's right. Yeah. Well, that hey, we I think we're gonna have. It looks like we're gonna have a one eight series if, if, if things hold. I mean, I know Denver is technically uh, ahead of Portland, but I I you know I think that Portland still has you know a, a great chance to snag that eight yeah, seed. And I, I think Portland's the favorites. It, I'm becoming yeah. a little bit less certain, not because of this game. I thought Portland played pretty well overall, but just overall that they that they haven't walked away with it yet because they've been healthy. But there's they're not all the way. They got Harkless back today. So if in, in the next two weeks next three weeks if they don't push it a little bit then i'll start to be more concerned but they have to be considered the favorites right now well th- yeah I, I i would say that i agree with you just because i from what i've seen from denver the times that i've tuned in i mean Jokic is great but there's there's not a whole lot else there that i believe in they and- play no defense 
Yeah, yeah, Malone has consistently had to call them out in, in the press and say that they're the worst d- defensive team in the league. And they're a super young team. Well, at least a lot of their key players are really young. So, uh, yeah, I, I just don't really believe in them a whole lot. I just – they win games. They score a ton of points sometimes. But, yeah, and, and then New Orleans, I that's just I, – I, I, Davis is great. I just don't really believe in the pieces around him enough to, to, to get it done down the stretch. So I think Portland with Lillard and McCollum and uh, if this, you know, change in the rotation and starting lineup and this stability in the back end, of the rotation works out, then yeah, they should be able to pick things up over these next few weeks and, and really distance themselves a little bit from the rest of that pack. I was putzing around the Blazers schedule just now, and they only have three home games in February, which is a little bit weird, but they don't, you know, their schedule isn't that brutal. It's just that they have a lot of road games. Right. And and they have they've had a lot of extra time at home too. uh, over this past week. I think they had a, like a three day layoff or something like that in between games where they were able to uh, chill out. And yeah, no, the, the, the schedule is, is not that great from a travel standpoint, but they do have the all star break and stuff like that. So, so they'll be able to, to get some rest in between. But uh, yeah, they, they really got to take advantage of these next two home games, though, I think, to Charlotte has been up and down and they but they beat Portland pretty badly a couple of weeks ago in Charlotte and then uh Dallas who beat the Blazers at home uh in December without Dirk uh so that that's a, a little bit of a revenge game for Portland too that they got to take care of this week. I feel like I have to ask you just because I ask other teams writers or podcasters in this case a lot. What do you think of JaVale McGee tonight? Uh I mean I I tonight uh I mean, he's fine. I I think he's been fine a lot. I think he's okay. I think he's a good. I think he's good in on this team. I think like every time I've watched Javale on the Warriors, and I watch the Warriors a lot as well, just in uh, whenever I'm watching other teams, and I, I feel like he's fine. He's good. He's good on this team. I feel like. What do you think? That's pretty much where I am. He's not perfect in every matchup, but he can do well enough in a limited role. And they're, the team is getting more comfortable at understanding what he does well and what he doesn't do well. And offensively, he's been wonderful because he, he hustles and he does exactly one thing well. He, he can jump up and he can catch the ball after running the floor. And the Warriors know how to use that. They know how to incorporate a guy who is more limited. You know, he's he's substantially worse offensively than Mason Plumlee. But the Warriors can just, they, they have, he has an incredibly low usage role. And I'm not saying he's better than Pulby, obviously. But what I'm saying is that I don't think they need that extra versatility in that player. It's great to have, but it's not essential. Yeah, I think sometimes, uh, I, 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 I've talked about this a lot of times in reference to the Blazers. And I've talked about this a lot of time uh, earlier in the season when I was comparing Evan Turner to Gerald Henderson. Now, Evan Turner is a more versatile player but I think for the role that maybe they had Turner cast in earlier for most of the season coming off the bench and being a wing off the bench I think Portland just needed a guy that can just make straight decisions and he's just going to get some baskets and just going to defend and maybe he's not the great passer but I feel like Turner just or Henderson just had a better understanding of kind of just going quickly and not really slowing down and he didn't need to think a lot whereas Turner's game requires a lot of thinking and, and and stuff like that and I think Henderson in that role probably fit Portland better and I think the point you're making about JaVale he doesn't need to be like you're saying 
a versatile, you know, everything type of guy. You know, he, he doesn't need to be in the death lineup to be an effective part of the team. And I, yeah, he's good at catching the ball, running the floor and he's dunking like that. And that's, that's important. You need a guy that can do that. It also harkens back to the discussion we had on Vonley, where you said, and you're right, that he doesn't need to be a part of the death lineup. Like he doesn't need to play a crunch time minutes, but JaVale arguably does better with better teammates just because they know how to get him involved. Granted, that's also because the Warriors' best players are also their best passers. That is not always true. You know, there are a lot of teams that have good one-dimensional point guards. Jose Calderon is a great example of this. Like if the Warriors had a Jose Calderon, JaVale would be great with him. But the Warriors' best player, you know, the, their best four passers are probably all, well, depending on Draymond's not counted as a small, but they're all on that end, you know, Curry, Iguodala, Draymond, and then maybe Durant, he throws some really bad passes, but maybe Durant is that fourth guy. So yeah, you can, you can make that work with the center. Yeah, I think you could definitely make it work with JaVale. So uh, yeah. And what's it, I mean, why is, why does McAdoo playing more than him? Because Kerr trusts him. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. He's been in the system for a while. It does. And Kerr has just this, it, it wouldn't be a concern if it hadn't been for like game seven, actually after Bogut got hurt in the finals, where Kerr went back to the guys he was comfortable with, even though they weren't good. And that was, you know, Anderson Farajau getting minutes in the second half of game seven of the finals. Festus Azili getting put in a tough circumstance when he wasn't playing well, you know, not going to Draymond at center lineups as much, even in crunch time situations. All of those things run together like Kerr is fundamentally more conservative than I think some people give him credit or blame for. Like It's just not a, a key element of his persona in that way. And he's not in his like public. You know, it's not one of those things where the way he talks or like his demeanor befits that. But he's actually like strangely conservative in terms of his rotations. And it has hurt the Warriors at moments. They're still crazy, crazy good. But it is also what lets teams back into games and what lets teams back into series no interesting interesting stuff and yeah i, I wonder if that's going to be i mean I'm, I'm i don't wonder i think that's going to be a really interesting subplot of the warrior season when they get into those tough games in the playoffs when uh, the, the stakes are a lot higher uh because uh you know the game seven stuff happened and the, those rotations happened and uh he he definitely got criticized but i think some of that got lost in the shot in the stop and the block and all that stuff so you know i think uh when the playoffs get going again it'll be interesting to see how that stuff gets parsed when they have series that are that are going to be uh more difficult if they stay healthy i don't think there's much of an argument that they have the most talent in the league so then that puts a lot on the coach if they underperform relative to their expectations. I mean, and, and it should, it has to. And so we'll have to see. And what's frustrating, and I've talked about this before on Lockdown Warriors, and you might be getting there if, if Portland wins a couple more games, but I have trouble talking about that sort of a thing because we can't learn much of anything for another few months. So you're just kind of sitting there going, well, we'll see what happens in May, you know? Like, we'll, we'll see what happens when the games count and we'll just kind of sit here and watch James Michael McAdoo get 10 minutes in a game when David West is hurt. And, you know, I, it, the Warriors are basically only one injury away from Kerr getting into this weird rotation stuff. It's really interesting stuff. I'm, I'm, hey, well, maybe we will talk about this uh, in, in mid-April. That would be a lot of fun. I mean, there aren't many more series that I would look forward to in that first round. Any potential opponents, that would be more fun than the Blazers. 
Well, I, it, it would definitely be fun to to keep chatting uh, about the Warriors and keep chatting hoops, obviously. And yeah, and I love watching the Warriors too. It would be a, it would uh, I think that would be a fun series, no doubt, because uh, ever since that you know the forty point drubbing or the you know those two early blowouts, really Portland has looked a little bit more respectable uh, against the Warriors lately. So uh, yeah, maybe a series would would, would be pretty entertaining. I, I, and I, I think of all the teams that could be in the eighth seed, obviously I think Portland uh, and maybe Sacramento. Uh, you know, with Boogie, we would give them a, a, a some. It would be fun, but uh, yeah, let's hope. Hope we see each other in mid-April. Absolutely. With the holidays around the corner, now's your chance to save time and money at Safeway Stock Up Sale. Plus, earn four times gas reward points on participating items. Look for tags on items like Honey Nut Cheerios. Select varieties are four for eight dollars with your club card. And select varieties of Betty Crocker Cake Mix, Brownie Mix, or Frosting are ten for ten dollars with your club card. Maximum gas reward at participating Sunoco stations is twenty cents per gallon and one dollar per gallon at Safeway stations in a single fill of up to twenty-five gallons. Other restrictions, limitations, and exclusions apply. For complete details, go to Safeway.com.